Hello and welcome to We Read This Last Night, a show where we talk about things that we only have surface level knowledge on, but we essentially just read them last night. Our topic for today is revolutions. When one pictures a revolution, they usually think about the French Marianne holding the revolutionary tricolor in her hand, or a picture of Lenin delivering the April theses. But revolutions have more dimensions than just that. And in today's episode, we're going to look into that. What do you think is the first revolution? I think, like, apart from ancient revolutions, the first prominent revolution in uh, modern times is definitely the American Revolution. Yeah, the American Revolution was certainly revolutionary in the fact that it... Go kill yourself. It was the first one to espouse democratic ideals. And, you know, yeah, it was generally, it was the first beacon of democracy. Yeah, and also, like, I think it was the first time a colony kicked the colonizer out, which is, like, really, really badass, honestly. A regular reminder that we hate Britain. Yeah, Britain sucks, too. Like, absolutely suck ass. Yeah, I mean, like, just look at the museums, dude. It's just filled with stuff that they've stolen from other countries. It's, like, none of it is actually their own. Yeah, yeah. What is something that feels British but isn't? British museums. Yeah, there's this great speech by Shashi Tharu at Oxford. How he talks about Britain owes us, like, a lot of reparations. But then he would honestly just be happy with an apology. Yeah, I can't really stand colonization sympathizers, like, among us Indians especially. Especially because the negative outweighs the positive so bad. Yeah, that's the main thing. Like, obviously, they've brought about economic and political and social reforms, but then you also have to take a look at what all they've done against the country, the brutality and everything that they've done, how they've looted India and stuff. Yeah, they destroyed our economy and our culture for 300 years straight, but... They also built a few railroads, so it's even, I guess. Shalta <laughs> hai, Yeah, coming back to the American Revolution. So, um, there's this really funny thing about how Thomas Jefferson basically just missed both the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Like, he wasn't while... in America during the American Revolution? He was in France during the American Revolution and then he came back to America during the French Revolution. That's so funny. And on the other hand, there's this French military officer known as Marquis de Lafayette. He was there during both the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And additionally, he was also there during the Revolution of 1813 France. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah, he was in Hamilton. So was Ben Franklin. What was Ben Franklin doing in France? He was just banging. He was supposed to be there as an ambassador, I guess, but he was just banging there. There's so many weird stories about him. He had like an underground sex cult or something. He was such a weird dude. Yeah, like just think about all the stuff that man has done. Like he smoked, he banged, apparently he was a serial killer and he discovered electricity. He used to go around with a kite in his hand. Or something during storms, yeah. Yeah, that's how he discovered electricity. Like, he tied a key to the tip of a kite so that the electricity, the lightning would strike it and then it would flow through uh, whatever special thread he had. 
so that's how electric electricity is conducted right we know that now but that's how we discovered it back then yeah american culture is so weird like imagine paying for your coffee with bank notes that have the face of a sex fiend on them <laughs> only in america yeah arguably america in india course. but only in america yeah yeah and it's not just him who's a controversial figure you know even if you take a look at alexander hamilton you know one of the founding fathers what yeah. a weird guy he was he used to be in the caribbean i guess and then um, a storm hit like all of my knowledge about him comes from the musical hamilton obviously so, as yeah. of everyone else yeah so no one can really point it out if i'm wrong i mean i read this thousand page book on him but then i forgot all of it because lin manuel miranda so yeah uh, the uh, a storm hit the caribbean and then he started writing about all the stuff that he was experiencing and so the people were like okay let's just send him to america so they set up a crane to send him to america and then he joined the revolution there and then he was uh, george washington's right hand man and um, he wanted his command desperately but then um, i don't know like he was just manning his box so he got mad and then uh, washington sent him home and then he came back and then they won the war and then he cheated on his wife and then published this really man. long yeah essay. yeah that weird story about him like he had an affair and then when confronted about it he just like published a whole ass article admitting to the affair yeah okay so basically the reason why he did it was because like uh he was banging this woman by the name of maria renolds and her uh, husband james renolds i guess he knew about the affair and he was like uh pay me or i'll tell everyone that you're banging my wife and so he was like no don't tell anyone i'll pay you and what so what a beta male yeah hamilton started uh, paying him and then a couple of people like i don't know uh, james madison uh, aaron burr I'm not sure about Aaron Burr honestly. It was in the musical Hamilton but I don't think that's how it went down in real life. Like We hear Aaron Burr too. Uh yeah, uh like uh Jefferson knew, Madison knew and then this one other guy knew and uh, they were like you're embezzling government funds we're going to tell everyone and your career is dead. So he was like he just published an article saying that no I'm not embezzling government funds I'm just cheating on my wife. and that's the first public <laughs> american sex scandal <laughs> what a man yeah and 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 uh, both him and his son died in a duel in like pretty much the same spot yeah the same spot yeah 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 i i know about it yeah he's such an interesting figure to say the least and no one talks about him that much and I mean, the sad part do. is that he probably would have made it as president if not for the duel uh debatable but yeah maybe i mean i don't know i'm pretty sure you would have i mean like if you take the whole sex scandal into account then it's a tough call yeah makes sense yeah it's just it's pretty cool to think about him uh and even even if you take a look at george washington he isn't what people portray him to be he was like severely sick He, yeah, had he had dentures. like wooden dentures or something. Yeah, dentures made of wood, and also apparently had dentures made from the teeth of the slaves that he owned. Oh, uh, and um, that's another had... contradiction about the American Revolution. 
like all revolutions have you know a good and bad and like in this case it's jefferson writing about all men being equal while also being yeah. a slave owner life liberty and the pursuit of happiness yeah uh yeah so george washington he had these coiled arteries in his anus <laughs> and so and so he couldn't ride on horseback during the war so do you know how they transported him how did they transport him they put him in a fucking wheel bar and took him across the back <laughs> i i i did not know about that <laughs> all of this is 100% true and um he he was um what to call it he was impotent like he couldn't uh, impregnate he didn't have any kids yeah apparently not and um uh, people say like he caught a disease which led to that and before that the founding father of america was important yeah he the founding father, father. <laughs> yeah so um apparently he might have been hamilton's actual father yeah apparently because like everyone just referred to hamilton's mom as a whole because uh, like she was married to hamilton's father hey so alex like, hey, hey your mom is a whore uh in the musical hamilton like they constantly say uh, how does a bastard often son of a whore that's literally how the musical starts <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty pretty damn funny yeah it is uh coming back to revolutions next is probably the french revolution yeah the french revolution we just talked about this right before the podcast like why is it so popular yeah because in terms of like revolutionary ideals the americans were really at first and some people would say oh but they executed the monarch that does hasn't happened before but it did in england in the 1640s like um king charles the second uh fought a, most people don't know about the english civil war for some reason but yeah like uh king charles the second fought a war against parliament like he wanted parliament to pass some laws but they weren't and the king was like hey uh the divine right of kings remember i am appointed by god but the parliament was like we're not so sure and they fought about it and the king lost surprisingly and that was the first time a king was the king of england was tried before a, like put on trial before a court which had never happened before and everyone was so nervous because they're like how can you possibly put the king on trial and the king like the entire trial for like 3 4 days just went like this like charles would come in to the court and uh, the judge would read like this long list of charges and charles would be like okay sure but what authority are you trying me on i'm literally the king appointed by god and like <laughs> they had no answer to that they were just like oh we're the revolutionary tribunal or whatever but yeah this just went on for a long time until they were like we can't do this so they just stopped calling charles to his own trial and like behind his back they just sentenced him to death and that's how the first regicide in history happened not the first but like you know the first legal one yeah 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 the french revolution the french revolution is like pretty interesting honestly and i think the reason why it was i don't know why it was so groundbreaking was because first of all it uh, brought about the idea of democracy in like france and probably in like many parts of europe i mean obviously it had 
developed in Greece, which is a part of Europe, but then you know, in proper implementation. Yeah, I, yeah, in practice, the first. Yeah, and also like if you take a look at the American Revolution, then it was mostly like militant. Like it was the Continental Army versus the yeah, British Army. Yeah, it was. Yeah, this was the common people versus the monarch. Yeah, and uh, like obviously it's the common people, but also the middle class. Like that's the first time the middle class rose to power, and they were like, "This isn't how it's supposed to work. Yeah. You should like there is no divine right." you have no superiority it's just that you should be given rights on basis of merit yeah also the french revolution is so satisfying like all these people just rising up against uh, the clergy and the nobles like it yeah. has that you know traditionally revolutionary feeling okay what's your favorite part of the french revolution what's my favorite part of the french revolution uh Wait, I need to think about that one. Robespierre getting beheaded, which is so funny. <laughs> the reign of terror comes to an end by Robespierre being beheaded. It's just this guy who beheaded a bunch of people, and then he himself gets beheaded. Like, what could possibly be funnier? I think my favorite part would be like Marie Antoinette just saying, "Let the peasants eat cake." Yeah, that's probably misquoted, but then you know, misquoted or not, it just shows how less of a fuck the monarchy actually gave over the people. Yeah, I mean, like, ob- like there's obviously the point that they didn't give a fuck, but it's it also shows how much the monarchy was disconnected from the common public, you know. Yeah. Uh, if anyone is not familiar with the incident, apparently the common people showed up outside the palace at Versailles, and uh, they they were protesting because they had no bread to eat. And when uh, Queen Marie Antoinette, she was a very unpopular queen. She was originally a princess from Austria, which is why the French public hated her because Austria was like one of their rivals. And so, uh, when she was told about their revolt, what she said was, "Just let them eat cake. They didn't have bread, and she asked them to eat cake." What a bitch! That just shows how disconnected the monarchy was from. Did the you know the French the people, like the French people, called her Austrian? Instead of Austrian, because like Shein is like bitch in French, so it, I it meant Austrian bitch, which is so funny. Yeah, and um, I mean, this is not really related to the re- revolution, but like, do you know her last words? Because these are pretty famous, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she stepped on her executioner's uh, yeah, yeah, foot by mistake, and she was. I don't know what she said exactly, but she asked to be pardoned, like. Pardon yeah, me, something it, like that. Yeah, it was something like that. Excuse me, please, or pardon me, please, something like that. I mean, you wouldn't expect someone like her to say that, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not like we know her personally, right? It's just how history has been painted, and history is painted by the victor, so it makes sense that she's been painted as this as this really dumb person who was evil and stuff. But then this shows that she could have been a nice person. Yeah, she could have. Who knows? Yeah, even like... even Louis the Sixteenth, like. Some people say he was just like, instead of evil or despotic, he was just dumb and naive. Like most of it happened because of his grandfather. I like mean, that's the thing. That's what I was coming to, you know, because you can be a bad ruler or a bad politician and you know be dumb and stuff, but still be a good person. Which I'm talking in context with a certain member of the INC. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that. Holy shit! Yeah, Louis yeah. XVI was the original Rahul Gandhi. Yeah. 
so um, we've gone through the american revolution we've gone through the french revolution the next revolution which kind of comes as um account not account a product but like a byproduct of the french revolution the greek war of independence in india no the greek war of independence like uh, you oh, know oh the how, greek war of uh, i've never yeah, heard about that uh, it wasn't tense <laughs> yeah so basically um when nationalist ideas started spreading through europe uh, at that point greece was a part of the ottoman empire and suddenly they were like we used to be this great country and uh, you know we were really progressive in thought and science and stuff and now we are enslaved by muslim rulers and our thoughts and ideas are being suppressed and we are forced to be backwards and stuff and they used romanticism and like language as a medium to spark nationalism in people and greece became That's the most greek way to rebel yeah they were like hum tumse pehle acche the ab jao <laughs> and they left yeah that's it like nationalism spread through that like using language as a medium yeah also it's funny how like intertwined all of us like uh, the greek people fought against the ottomans but then when the ottomans were uh, like deposed by the british after they lost in world war 1 the indians uh, the, the muslims in india got pissed off because the ottoman was uh, the ottoman emperor was supposed to be like uh, yeah. the caliph at the time like the leader of the muslim world and that sparked a revolution in india which is which is weird because an oppression or the country sparked a revolution in another one yeah like the caliph was the head of the muslim world and then when uh, indian soldiers were asked to fight against the ottoman empire apparently they just said no that we can't do this like indian muslim soldiers they were like this is our leader we can't fight against him uh-huh. um, yeah that's what gandhi used to uh, unite the muslims and the hindus yeah like, for the non cooperation movement yeah i think it was chauri chaura and uh, this like the khilafat movement both of them happened at the same time and so the non cooperation movement came to be yeah pretty cool yeah it is the, I mean, the indian freedom struggle is an example of a non violent revolution like when most people think of revolution they think of this like a uh, political uprising which consists of a lot of violence and stuff but revolutions can be non violent and they can be ideological as well yeah i mean like even if we think about it like these don't exactly fit the like fit in the i don't know the mold that we've been setting for revolutions in the past but if even if we think about the reading revolution which happened in europe uh, so basically uh, you know this but like in the 15th century johannes gutenberg invented yeah, the, the printing press and then in the 16th century reading just became this really popular activity and like there isn't a change in the political climate but there is a change in the societal climate because um, the society changed from like an oral culture to a reading culture yeah, because, yeah. because in the past like not everyone could read and books were rare because they were handwritten and stuff but suddenly you could just print a lot of books so um एक सेकंड आई लॉस्ट माय लाइन ऑफ थॉट एडिट करता हूं या सडनली यू कुड प्रिंट अ लॉट ऑफ बुक्स सो अ लॉट मोर पीपल कुड रीड एंड आई डोंट नो लाइक 
uh, people started reading these books in like bars and like in public gatherings and stuff. But before this, it was just members of the clergy and like literate people who would read the Bible in certain limited books out loud. And they would honestly, they would modify some of the stuff to fit their own agendas. And um, like, it used to be that you would just read one book over and over again. But when the reading revolution happened, people would read a lot of books, but just once. Yeah, makes sense. Holy shit, yeah. Yeah, so that's one of the revolutions which aren't what you think of in the yeah, conventional sense. That proves that revolutions need not inherently be political. They can be social as well. But yeah, the reading revolution was really important because even in like the French Revolution, it was a lot of people like wrote a lot of stuff, like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and <laughs> yeah, the the guy yeah. who wrote who was the guy who wrote from his bathtub. I don't know, but like John Locke wrote too. Yeah, I think that was I think that was Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I'm I'm not sure, but he wrote from his bathtub, like the, these angry pamphlets just like denouncing the monarchy. Yeah, they were like a lot. I don't know, they wrote a lot of stuff against the government and uh, yeah, it was unheard of at the time and it couldn't have happened without the, I don't know, the reading revolution. Like yeah. some of the philosophers were John Locke, Jean-Jacques Rogier and um, Montesquieu. There were just a lot of writers, like even if you look at um, James Madison, he wrote the uh, Bill of Rights. Yeah. Didn't happen before the reading revolution because a large pop a large part of the population wasn't even literate. Like at the end of the 18th century, um, literacy in some parts of Europe was between 60 to 80 percent. Do you know what the current literacy rate in Uttar Pradesh is? What is the current literacy rate in Uttar Pradesh? 69 percent. <laughs> These countries had it like 300 years ago. That's like, sad for Uttar Pradesh, but also the fa yeah, like these bunch of oppressed people who have no idea that they even have basic human rights. Yeah, and I think like this is when people started forming their own ideas about religion and how stuff should happen. And the church was absolutely terrified that people were having their own coherent thoughts, you know. Yeah. And so they just started arresting a lot of people on the basis of heresy. There's this quote. There's this quote by Voltaire. Uh, he says, uh, "If you want to know who controls you, just think about who you cannot criticize." Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And as a byproduct of the painting revolution, we can think about the Protestant reforms. You know, Martin Luther. Yeah, the guy who just went up and nailed a bunch of reasons why the church sucks at the door of the church yeah like okay so in 1448 um johannes gutenberg makes the first printing press and in 1517 martin luther he writes 95 theses criticizing the practices of the catholic church and then he nails it to the gate of a church and he doesn't like, get killed yeah yeah <laughs> and like his writing is just reproduced in like huge numbers and so the church just basically divides into two it becomes the roman catholic not the roman i think no wait yeah it, it is, is the roman, roman catholic, catholic church, church. Yeah. the roman catholic church and the protestant church yeah that and, is a big deal as well 
because yeah, and ha huh, yeah you were saying because the church was essentially this all powerful body like the church along with uh, the monarchy or whatever they control all these people yeah yeah like uh, people couldn't read so the holy books were just a way of controlling them that it says so in the bible and you have to do that but when you start reading yourself it doesn't say so in the bible <laughs> but a peasant wouldn't have any way of knowing that because he can't read and you talked about how martin luther wasn't executed but then even if you take someone like minocio do you know who minocio is i've heard about him but i'm, I'm not sure who he is this yeah, italian so, peasant guy right yeah a miller in italy he like he started to read books and then uh, like he read the bible and he formulated his own uh, view of like god and the creation and stuff and so the catholic church killed him naturally yeah as one does as one does, as the catholic church does yeah also like talking about uh, there being two sides to revolution uh, the haitian revolution is really underrated like in haiti these bunch of uh, slaves just rose up and overthrew the french government over there and that is such a big deal like Why this happened this only happened in france <laughs> it only happened in france but yeah this was like way before the civil war and it's 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 a bunch of slaves reclaiming their freedom it's such a big deal but then again upon gaining their freedom uh, haiti committed a white genocide where they killed a bunch of white people i mean you, you could say that it's you know revenge against their oppressors or whatever but again the lines between good and bad are really blurred when it comes to yeah. revolution yeah like revolutions are often violent and that's the thing like violence i don't think violence should be condoned in any way but then obviously there's some gray area yeah there is one yeah and um like other uh, unconventional revolutions the industrial revolution yeah i never thought about that yeah i mean it literally says so in the name like it says it literally says in the name but still people think about political revolutions when they think about revolutions yeah okay so uh tangent but like do you know what the difference between a revolt and a revolution is i've never thought of that i never i've never thought of that yeah okay so a revolt is never successful but a revolution is always successful and a, re- a revolt is done to like bring back an old um, government system that used to exist like even if you look at the indian revolt of 1857 yeah. they tried to reinstate bahadur shah zafar whereas in a revolution they try to establish a new form of government like the american revolution they uh, drew away the colonizers colonizers and then they set up a democratic government and even in the french revolution they overthrew the monarchy and set up a democratic government holy shit i've never thought of it that way yeah that's um, like Damn, that is the difference between a revolt and a revolution all thanks to my ninth grade history teacher <laughs> but also the, about the french revolution in their end goal they failed because they did have democracy for a while but then the whole robespierre thing went down and they eventually just ended up with napoleon who crowned himself emperor so they went from being a monarchy to being a monarchy yeah and uh, like even when they had democracy they didn't really have democracy in its true form like it was partial democracy only certain people could vote yeah only rich white men could vote yeah like people with 
uh, first it was people with land holdings and then afterwards there was just men over the age of 21 i think but then women could never vote until like 1950s i think yeah it's it's so mind boggling when you think about how late women got the right to vote in so many countries yeah but then in india they just had it like from day one yeah but like in the us and stuff you would think that they had it like way before than they actually did but uh women got the right to vote in the us and like it was very late like yeah 1920 the the women's suffrage movement holy shit that's late yeah that's like really really late and that's like 150 years after the us was founded yeah and like obviously i'm not saying that uh but India think about it for more than place. for more than half of america's history half of its population wasn't allowed to vote yeah that's just absurd like think about how much different the governments would have been yeah a lot of presidents wouldn't have been presidents yeah because like if i'm a man like i'm speaking as a man if you're a man then, yeah <laughs> I mean if I'm a man in like 19th century America where women didn't have the right to vote I would probably think about uh, a candidate's policies in like my own terms how does it benefit me how is it harmful to me like I don't know even if you look at the french revolution before the french revolution there was a society of estates right and yeah the the nobles the clergy and the common people yeah so uh when they used to have these meetings right they would decide on new laws and each estate was allowed one vote yeah so, even the one of the estates literally made up 99% of the population yeah like the uh, estate of the commons was like 90% and then the clergy was pretty less and the nobles were pretty less but uh, like each of these three got one vote so there was this one meeting where they were like we need to increase taxation on the third estate and like obviously the king needs money and it isn't going out of my pocket so i'm going to say yes and so both the clergy and the nobles are going to say yes yeah but then it's obviously the- going to be a 2 to 1 vote and the third estate gets only one vote for something that affects the third estate only yeah and if it was like one vote per head then they would massively outweigh them yeah i mean and then they just walked uh, out like, and went to a tennis court instead yeah uh, french like in the french revolution uh, marquis de lafayette was like uh, he was the son of like a really strong person i guess and like i don't know a strong businessman i think and um, he was like a military officer and stuff so he had a lot of sway but then he was still uh, i don't know he was still pretty Ad, he was an he was an advocate for like one vote per head instead of like one vote per estate. And he, so got, he got kicked out of the I don't know the commission for that, and then he won another election to get in the commission. Yeah, again. one vote per person. What a ridiculous idea! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's why like a lot of the American history would be different. if women were allowed to vote and i'm not saying that india is in a really good place but then you know you think about how the us took so long to make certain reforms maybe eventually down the line obviously there's a lot wrong with india but then india is a very young country so hopefully along the line they will fix these mistakes and like a lot sooner than the western countries took to fix them yeah i hope so
Yeah. Yeah. was the, the first country to give women the right to vote. But the first country. Um, wait, I knew this. It was some Nordic country, if I remember right. Not really. It was New Zealand. But even oh, that okay. happened like 1893. And That's that was the so first late. country to allow women to vote. That's so late. I mean, better than America, but still. Yeah, but then, I mean, a lot of countries are better than America. Yeah. Also, a lot of countries were colonized by the British, so they didn't really have a say. Yeah, yeah. Again, like, fuck Britain. Fuck Britain. <laughs> With their goddamn tea. <laughs> yeah. Also, after that, uh, the Russian Revolution, which is so weird, it's like, let's overthrow this monarchy that has been going on for like, more than a thousand years, and let's re- replace it with this economic system that has never been tried before. No one has ever tried it. <laughs> it's so weird to think about it like that. Yeah, Marx was definitely on something when he wrote the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, look at him. He looks like he's definitely on something. Yeah, like, but uh, the way he wrote it, like, it was just a utopian vision. Yeah, when Marx wrote it, I mean, obviously, he would have wanted it to be practical. It's his baby. But uh, the Russian Revolution was the first movement to actually put that into practice. Yeah, and we all know how that turned out. Yeah, it did turn out pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, so it's just weird to think about how this guy wrote about how, like, capitalists own the world and the only way that the workers are going to have any rights is if they own the world. Yeah, but at least they tried. At least the Russian Revolution tried. They might have failed, but it was still a pretty bold move. Honestly, like, it was fine with, like, Lenin and stuff. I think the problem came in with Stalin. Yeah. When Lenin died, he was like, hey, uh, you know one person who should never become my successor? That's Stalin. And then he died, and then they made Stalin a successor. Yeah, like, when Lenin saw that, this isn't exactly practical. He started incorporating certain themes of capitalism into socialism, you know, to make it practical. And it was working, but then Stalin came in and he was like, no, I want complete socialism. Yeah, that's where it went downhill, essentially. Yeah, and it's it's pretty weird to think that the Soviet Union existed until like 20, no, not 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, until 1991, that is so weird. Yeah, and they were just constantly feuding with the United States. It's it's pretty weird. Like, if you think about... It started in, like, 1917, like, the whole socialist movement. Yeah. And then 1991. So that's, like, 74 years. I mean, short time for a country to exist, but long time for a properly uh, communist-implemented country to exist. And also, like, a long time for this weird idea that someone on, probably on drugs wrote, to, like, have been actually tried out. Yeah, the, the first ever. No one had tried it before. Yeah, and, I don't know, like, China? Yeah, China yeah. did it after Russia did it with, like, Mao Zedong. Even that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, but then, like, I think the party in power right now is, like, the CCP, right? Yeah, yeah, the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, but it isn't exactly communist. Like, there are themes of capitalism in that too, because it is necessary for it to work. Yeah, China isn't purely communist. 
Yeah, just like how it isn't really democratic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what other revolutions have there been? Can there be like evil revolutions too? Like if a revolution is just upending the political structure, then there can be evil revolutions. Like think about Germany. A lot of yeah. people would be uncomfortable if we called it a revolution, but the rise of the Nazi party was essentially a revolution. Technically a revolution. Yeah, like according to the uh, definition, it's just they're overthrowing a pre-existing government to establish a new form of government, which is the dictatorship. Yeah, revolution just essentially proof of how either how like extremely good or extremely bad ideology can be. Yeah, like Hitler is this really weird dude. Like, let's just start from like his beer hall. Um, I don't know revolt. Oh, I thought you were gonna start with a spook fetish or something. No, we're gonna get to that eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Hitler did it so well that even Star Wars copied him. Like, do you know in Star Wars when... Have you watched Star Wars? Uh, I have a bit. Like, not really, but a bit. Yeah, Emperor Palpatine sets fire to the parliament or something. I love democracy. <laughs> yeah, that's how he goes from senator, chancellor, whatever, Palpatine to Emperor, Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. But yeah, Hitler did the same thing. He he said, like, allegedly someone set fire to the Reichstag. And yeah. then he's like, oh, give me emergency powers. And they're like, sure. And then, boom, dictator. <laughs> ho, 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 ich bin Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hitler is this really weird dude. And uh, like this uh, fun fact per se. But, um, so he was a soldier in World War One, And so oh. this one time... Um, he was in a cave with like other soldiers and they were being shelled and I think there was some sort of poisonous gas uh, put into the cave or something. And Hitler is, the only, Hitler is the only one that survived that, like from all the men who were hiding in that cave. And then he went on to gas a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, also this British soldier who had a chance to kill Hitler. And then he let him live. Yeah, he let him live. Imagine the regret. Yeah. <laughs> he could have saved like, so many lives. See, like, Hitler is a horrible person, but, like, people often talk about how good of a speaker he was. Yeah, which just shows, like, the power of someone's oratory skills. <laughs> like, oh, he advocated for killing an entire religious minority, but he spoke well. Yeah, so people are naturally going to follow him because, like, who are you going to follow? Someone who speaks as frankly or someone who's like, uh, I think we should do this. Like, <laughs> that's not how it works. Yeah. Your oratory skills make a huge impact on how, like, people are going to perceive you because that's the only exposure they have to you as a person. Also, how subtly they used, like, Nazi propaganda. Like, it was never outright. They never said, oh, we're going to kill a bunch of Jews tomorrow. They were like, we're going to... find a solution. Yeah, a solution or exter- not even extermination, like, I don't know, but they just use very mild terms to actually describe things that were very horrifying. Yeah, and like, they just needed to paint someone as, you know, the... Uh, also, the way they dehumanize the Jews, like, 
their vocabulary literally referred to them as pests like the way they talked about pests, exterminating them they, they walk like rats they have hooked noses like this is coming from a party whose head is a person with a single testicle a micro penis and a scat fetish this is all true you can fact check this Hitler had a poop fetish. He had a micro penis, and he had one solitary testicle. And his favorite movie was Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so horrifying to think about because entire like genocides can just start with very subtle use of language. Yeah, and it's not just his language. You know, that's not the only part of Nazi propaganda because. But language is a big deal. Like when people, even right now, when people. Casually say something racist. They think that it has no further implication in that, but language plays a huge role in dehumanizing a certain group of people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like I was saying that, like obviously language plays a huge part, but then like it's also other propaganda. Like if you look at his huge rallies and like the rounds of applause after every uh, you know paragraph or something in a speech. and if you look at the nazi salute the nazi symbol you know all of this is propaganda you're brainwashing your people yeah it's so symbolic and it's symbolic for a reason yeah and uh, like nationalism is often associated with like referring to your uh, homeland as like one of your parents so like fatherland. yeah yeah the german fatherland yeah mother so india want about hitler like obviously he was this horrible person but He did a lot for the development of Germany. If you have to say something positive about him, I mean that's a sentence I wouldn't like to hear. But what did he do for Germany? Um, he like uh he started with the employment programs. He built these huge super highways. He started Volkswagen. But he did, did he also start World War Two, which essentially destroyed Germany? Yeah, he did. He did. He did. <laughs> Other than starting Volkswagen. Yeah, the duality of a man. <laughs> yeah, Hitler man. Yeah, coming back to when I was talking about like unconventional forms of revolution, even the industrial revolution is like such a weird form of revolution that you wouldn't necessarily think about when you heard the word revolution. Yeah, you weren't. Yeah, so uh, the industrial revolution was basically this. Um, I don't know the start of industrialization across Europe, which was just like the setting up of large-scale industries instead of like cottage uh, shops, I guess. Like yeah, small businesses. Yeah. Uh, so before the industrial revolution, um, there used to be like all the goods used to be manufactured in the villages and stuff because there was a lot of competition in the cities. Uh-huh. Yeah. all of the finishing would just happen in separate places like you would get um cotton from one place and then you would coat i don't know you would like get it dyed in one place and i think manchester or london was the finishing center uh-huh. like, this is a I, i don't know it was like a pretty popular phrase they would just say that uh, what the finishing center here and like all of this used to happen at it obviously costs a lot when you have to transport all your stuff to various places for like one god but in in the in the 18th century richard arkwright like created the cotton mill which was basically this complex in which all of this would just happen in one place yeah like in pattern and finish get out 
it seems yeah. like a basic concept now, but it must have been a big deal for them at the time. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? Ki you're getting cotton from one place, like raw cotton from one place. You're growing the dye in a separate place. There are skilled people living in a third place. So yeah. you have to move all of that. But instead of moving all this to each other, what if you brought these all these things into one place? So that yeah. was really revolutionary because obviously your time and your cost both reduce, right? And in the starting of the industrial revolution, cotton was like the main product. But then eventually they um, switched over to iron and steel when they started building railroads all over Europe and like their colonies and stuff. That's why revolution can be innovation as well. Because yeah. obviously the industrial revolution did have consequences. Mm-hmm. So yeah, revolutions have consequences. Yeah, and, and not uh, necessarily political. Yeah, exactly. Um, when machines started to be created for like these cotton mills and stuff, first of all, many of the owners of these cotton mills were like, "We don't need these," because at that point, um, England was pretty much like Bihar. Like there was no, <laughs> there was no <laughs> lack of labor. England was pretty much like Bihar. Yeah, there was no lack of labor. So obviously, when there's a when there's an abundance of labor, then like your supply increases, your demand decreases. So obviously, people are ready to work at a cheaper price. Yeah, right. So they they were like, we'll just pay these people. We need uh, increased labor in like Christmas and stuff. So instead of buying a machine and like maintaining it throughout the year just for use at that point, we'll just hire these Biharis at that point. <laughs> And yeah, it's gonna be cheaper for us, right? And that's how they thought. And like yeah. they were like, uh, the maintenance is expensive. And what if they don't work? Even though they obviously it's the same work. thing. They did it with Englishmen then, and they do it with immigrants now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, even when machines like spinning jenny, so the spinning jenny was essentially this machine that brought a lot of like ropes and pulleys to one spot. So one person could just handle the spinning jenny to do the work of a lot of people. So employment decreases, right? Yeah. So what did the laborers do in the cotton mill? They started, they, they started attacking the spinning jenny. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "Yeah, my job lady is a marum." Good like, machine. Yeah, they were pretty much like early Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to your own country. Stop stealing my job. <laughs> Yeah, and um, when um, I don't know when the uh, cotton mills started coming up in Manchester, uh, like before that, the I don't know the cotton industry in India was like pretty lucrative and it was very yeah yeah famous. I heard of it. They would they would take they would take raw material from India and then they would force Indians to buy finished product that was made. Through their own raw materials, which is so weird, at like higher prices than they could have gotten it from. Yeah, and it's not just this. Like, uh, there were like these weavers in India that made uh, silk sarees that could pass through rings, and like they uh, weaved cotton clothes as light as air. And do you know what the English did when they first colonized India? What did they do? They cut off their thumbs. Holy shit. They can't do it, and now we don't know how they did it. So we don't have cotton as light as air anymore. Oh, why did they cut the thumbs off again? 
so that people would buy stuff that's coming from Manchester. What assholes! Yeah, and that's what they did, right? Like, uh, they were like, "We are gonna take the raw material from India. We are gonna make the cloth in Manchester, and then we are gonna sell you this cloth at a higher price, even though it has a lower quality. And you are gonna buy it because you have no other option." Why would I buy something from Manchester when I can buy light as air silk instead? Like, whatever this Manchester. It just has a football team and. Morrissey comes from there. Who yeah, gives a shit Morrissey. about Manchester? Yeah, fuck Morrissey. <laughs> um, yeah, and then World War Two happened, so they were like, um, India, I love you. Ab tumhare yahan bhi cotton mill banegi, and you're gonna make us cloth. <laughs> Man, yeah, I don't know. Colonizing is just a weird concept. Like you've seen the Trevor Noah bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Uh, I come from Great Britain. You named Then yourself. I come from Great India. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a weird colonization, such a weird concept. Because when you're conquering, you just go to a place, kill a bunch of people, and subjugate them. But then when you're colonizing, you go to a place and you tell them how to live. Yeah, like you force them to be like you while treating them worse than you treat your own people. Yeah, it's like you're simultaneously inferior and equal to me. Yeah, it's such a big contradiction. Yeah, so um, this isn't exactly what we were talking about vis-a-vis the industrial revolution, but like even advertisement, like people printing pictures of monarchs and um, gods on like. Stuff so that people would buy them. Like, yeah. if you if you uh, produce something abroad, and you have to that happens even now. Like it's weird to think about how the industrial revolution led to like I don't know king size beds or something. I don't think that's what this refers to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it refers to. Then. Yeah. So like, uh, have, have you have you seen Indian calendars? Like they have gods and stuff. Indian calendars. Yeah, like so, cut the calendar of them. I'm I'm not a Hindu. Chafa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they have. You just have Arabic numbers and ours. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your point? Yeah. So you've seen the cover of um, Axis Borders Love, right? The Jimi Hendrix album. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that was basically like we have pictures like these of gods in our calendars, and the artist just like painted Hendrix's face on top of. The Indian God. That was a calendar. Yeah, like the artist painted on top of the calendar. Damn. So we have we have like pictures like these of gods in our uh, calendars, and so the reason why this started was because um like you would produce stuff abroad, right? But yeah. What does made in Manchester mean to an Indian? Like they probably can't even read English at that point, right? Yeah. So what they did was that they produced it in Manchester, but then they printed pictures of gods in it so that it would like feel uh, familiar. That's so funny. To the Indian consumer, right? And so like you had these uh, butter packets with like Krishan on it, and then you would have like pictures of old monarchs and stuff, and uh, you would have like gods and calendars, and these calendars were like sponsored by the. By any company, like if if you take a company like let's just say Reliance, just for the sake of it, yeah. Right? So calendars are hung in a tea stall. So people go to the tea stall every single day 
they see this calendar and at the bottom of it they see the name reliance and they become familiar with it so when they go out they see a bunch of stuff that oh, they are familiar with they like are ye to hamare bhagwan ko manta hai yeah. manchester wala yeah so one of the implications was that if the product is good enough to be used by god and like these monarchs and it's good enough for you that <laughs> <laughs> it also makes a lot of sense like the, the advertisement did actually persuade people to like it, it, it was actually a big fucking deal I mean, and they just proved how uh, the English this. have a history of appropriating other people's culture because they just have no culture of their own. Yeah, <laughs> what's the difference? Okay, this is like not exactly British, but like American. So, what's the difference between yogurt and Americans? What? If you leave yogurt alone for two hundred and fifty years, it would develop a culture. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. uh yeah so if you th- like if someone listening to this thinks that this whole thing is stupid like bhagwan ko dekh ke they using this i need to use this this is exactly how advertising with your favorite celebrity works like beyonce ki sabun mein bhi use karunga that isn't she yeah, isn't really using that so you know yeah holy shit yeah it's just it's just that we've moved on from gods like celebrities now yeah wow i never thought about it like that Yeah. Also, coming back to revolutions, when most people think about revolutions, it's essentially just medieval era, common people rising up against the monarchy. But there have been modern day revolutions as well. Like if you think about the one in Iran, in like the seventies, most people don't know about it, but even that was a huge deal. Like, uh, so it was basically uh, the the ruler of Iran was the Shah. this uh it was essentially a western backed puppet and he was overthrown by ayatollah khomeini this uh islamic religious clerk which is such a big deal because here's this 2 to 3000 year old monarchy uh who is also supported by the world's greatest superpower and here's just this religious guy and he somehow overthrows the mon- overthrows the monarchy it- it's such a big deal if you think about it And yeah, also, the yeah. Iranian Revolution was the first example of a religious revolution, which is weird to think about because the first time religion came into play in the revolution was 1979. Yeah, that does still, not seem true at all, even though it probably is. It probably is, but it just shows how how much power religion has. Yeah, it's just wow. Yeah, like religion helped overthrow a 3,000-year-old monarchy supported by the West. Think about it. supported by the west is like the real kicker here yeah the real kicker like the actual kicker yeah although the iranian revolution has its downsides as well like even though it succeeded in overthrowing this evil puppet of the west iran went from being a secular country to a hardline islamic state which it still is now so yeah that just shows that revolutions even though they succeed they might succeed in what they set out to do they still uh, fail in other areas yeah like uh, they can't be 100% yeah you can't have a perfect revolution yeah. there is no perfect revolution yeah. also revolutions that ended up resulting in the exact opposite of the, what they wanted like the french revolution obviously but even like when they killed caesar which is so ironic because 
they killed Caesar because they feared that there was too much power in one person's hand. But after that, Augustus literally became emperor, which is the definition of one man having all the power. So that yeah, think, as well. I think the only good thing that came out of Caesar's assassination is like Shakespeare's play. <laughs> Arguably, yeah. Yeah. Also, like, does the summer of love count as a revolution? Yeah, I think it does. It counts as a cultural revolution. Yeah, the summer of love was like basically the period between uh, 1967 to like 1969, where the young people just wanted to like smoke weed and practice free love. Yeah, it was it was young people rebelling against old people. It's yeah a generational revolution. Yeah, the whole make love not war thing, and it wasn't strictly non-political because like they were also against the yeah the Vietnam War. war. Yeah, and it was like led by some of our favorite bands. Yeah. The Beatles, The Doors, The Rolling Stones. I take back my statement about there being no perfect revolution. Yeah, no, but even with this, like, do you know how it came to an end? How did it come to an end? So the Rolling Stones had a concert, right? And they hired this local gang. To yeah, they hired a bike gang for security. And yeah, as one does. Yeah, and then the fans are ecstatic to see the Rolling Stones, so they rushed towards the stage and someone shot someone. And they were like, this isn't love anymore. We are ending the summer of love. Yeah, I mean, it ended with the 60s, like the whole counterculture dream. Yeah, yeah. I think the 60s, the 60s hippies and like the 70s hippies were like very different. Yeah. I don't know. The counterculture ended with the Beatles breaking up. Yeah. Arguably. Yeah. Arguably. But it's it's honestly like pretty cool. I like the summer of love with like the Hare Krishna culture and stuff. It, it was pretty idealistic, which is not a bad thing, as most people think it would be. Yeah, but like think about how many musicians died with the summer of love. Like Morrison died, the Beatles ended, uh, Hendrix died, Janis Joplin died. Yeah, the Twenty Seventh Love, which you're gonna talk about in a different episode. Or we already have maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, also more revolutions in the modern age. Like, uh, the Arab Spring, that's like the most recent large-scale revolution. It was so recent. It happened like 10 years ago. But 2011 was 10 years ago. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. But coming back to the Arab Spring, like, that was one of the first major revolutions to happen during the internet age. So it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's similar to how the French Revolution happened when people could read. Now people could tweet and talk to other people while there was a revolution going on, which is weird to think about. Bro, in Delhi, we just like, uh, like, rat ko band kar deta hai, data. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they, just, they just take away your data whenever something happens. You know, when the whole... That's how you know, that's how happened. you know something is a powerful tool. When people are afraid that you might use it and they limit or you know completely shut off access to it that's when you know they're scared yeah like it happened during the ca thing ca thing and it happened during the farmers revolt thing it's happened a lot of times in india no these are just like uh recent stuff that i remember yeah yeah coming back to the Arabia. yeah the arab spring yeah yeah it, it also it happened in the middle east like one of the most uh Obviously, as you know, politically and socially, there was areas, and you know, it's just it's just very difficult to get anything done in the Middle East. 
and it happened there and it succeeded in so many places it succeeded in Tunisia uh in Libya as well like Gaddafi was killed in Egypt but then it just horribly backfired like in some places like in Syria where it was just it was essentially just a peaceful demonstration but uh the government they thought was part of the Arab Spring and they got paranoid and they shot at the protesters and then uh yeah that happened in the Iranian revolution as well like one thing to not do if people are protesting is shoot at them because that just like has the opposite effect like in the Iranian revolution the shah shot at the protesters and then more people started protesting because of that and yeah that happened in this that happened in Syria as well and then that's how the protesters became violent and that's how the whole civil war started and it's still going on after 10 years yeah like there are so many revolutions that we might be living through right now like even if you yeah, look at like, the, the historical significance of it because we're living through it yeah like the hong kong protests there's the hong kong also like i opened youtube and there were pictures of like people carrying rubber duckies in thailand yeah so apparently um they're afraid that the government will kill them if they protest on the street so they're just keeping rubber duckies with like messages uh saying what the people want to say like on the street so they can't really shoot anyone except for rubber duckies imagine if like a soldier is about to shoot and then rubber duckies and they just can't shoot also what was the whole uh, chinese thing like the one with the Oh yeah, Tiananmen yeah. Square. Yeah. Yeah, it happened like 1989. So it's it, a, a bunch of students essentially uh uh protested against the communist government and there's this famous picture like so the government rolled in with like tanks and shirt like that's a bit of a overkill because these are literal students and then they came in with tanks and uh there's this really famous picture of a student like standing in front like a tank is looking right at him and he's standing in front of it and i think with his arms raised or something but that became like a symbol of the whole uprising but then the so chinese just, government just standing there holding like these bags of like it looks like groceries yeah i don't know but he's just standing in front of a t- tank like he's not scared to die or whatever yeah i think like if you look at peaceful protesters students are the most dangerous peaceful protesters because they do not give a shit about their own life yeah they they're educated and they're, and they're suicidal yeah and like they are in the age where they want to rebel so it's just a culmination of all yeah it's just everything mixed into one Speaking but yeah the chinese government did their the... absolute best to hide it like they they hid all traces of Tiananmen Square. It isn't in Chinese textbooks. It, it's nowhere. It's it's just yeah. a whole mass censorship program. But yeah, obviously yeah. everyone knows about it. There's this thing called the uh, Streisand effect. Do you know about it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the more you try to hide something, the bigger. Yeah, yeah. So Barbara Streisand had like I don't know. She's a singer who had like a house or something, and someone published pictures of her house, and she filed a lawsuit against them. So that just that just like backfired and it resulted in more people look like looking up for those pictures. Yeah, her company like tried to take down all pictures of it from the internet so that like they could maintain her privacy. But then people were like, "This is a forbidden fruit. I'm gonna look for it more." Yeah, right. And Even so Edward Snowden. Do you know about Edward Snowden? Like, uh, he was this dude who worked uh for the NSA, like. I don't know the like, yeah he worked in the US for the NSA and uh yeah so he essentially just released these classified NSA documents 
which was basically records of the NSA spying on their own citizens. But uh, yeah, and uh, that counted as like a violation of his work ethics or whatever. But then uh, he his whole thing was that he upheld the constitution in giving the people the right uh, to their to what was happening with their information. So yeah, but the the CIA still sorry not the CIA the NSA still you know they they they, they called him a traitor they classified him as a traitor and he ran away like he went to Russia or something. And yeah, when he published his book about how like he basically I think it was a memoir or an autobiography or something. But that uh, the U.S. government had to hide it like from like Amazon or something. But then when people got to know about it, uh, they made it the number one bestseller on Amazon, which is so funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah ha- funny have you se- have you seen that house where like it's a house made out of like all forbidden books, like books that were illegal at one point. I think I've sent you that. Like it has to kill a mockingbird and yeah, yeah, yeah. controversial catcher in the rye. Yeah. Yeah, that is so cool. I'm almost done with catcher in the rye. Yeah, the catcher in the rye is a revolutionary book in itself like if you think about it, it came out in the 40s and it had this kid you know basically it's talking like kid a, about like yeah. all these institutions and cursing and saying the f word and all of that it was a I big mean, deal for the 40s that's like, why hiring prostitutes yeah hiring prostitutes it was a big deal for the 40s that's yeah, why but i will never understand how someone read that and got the idea let's go kill john lennon that is a weird tangent right there, but yeah. Also, the Cuban Revolution with like Che Guevara and uh, Fidel Castro, like yeah, yeah. That is that was also against. It's funny how most of these revolutions are either against Britain or America. <laughs> but yeah, that was a big deal as well. Like the the U.S. meddled a lot in like Latin America, and these were three people just sick of it, and they they revolted but yeah also like again revolution being more about uh, ideals than wars when Che Guevara died uh, do you know what his last words were war so they assigned this soldier to shoot at him so he went in and he pointed his gun at him and uh, he said shoot coward you're only gonna kill a man which is so wow. badass but his whole point was that even if he was going to die his ideals would live on yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they couldn't kill the revolutionary spirit. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, also like Fidel Castro. They tried to kill him so many times. Yeah. Exploding so, cigars and shit. Yeah, so like he has been tried to kill like 638 times. That's insane. Holy shit. That's I'm a lot of times. I knew it was a lot of times. I didn't know it was that much. The fucker survived. <laughs> he survived that many times. Yeah. <laughs> he died recently. He died in like 2016. Yeah, he died in 2016 and of natural causes, not of the 638 ways that they tried to kill him. Man, what There's a, a man. documentary by Channel 4, like 638 ways to kill Castro. Like, okay, so some of them are like. Exploding cigars. Yeah, exploding cigars and uh, this umbrella thing. Like they had this umbrella thing. 
uh, there's this theory that, that that was used during the Kennedy assassination as well. Like you open the umbrella, yeah, yeah, and you find the umbrella man. The umbrella. Yeah, the umbrella man. Yeah, but then like apparently it was also just this guy who was trying to use this form of resistance that ha- that was happening in uh, Latin America. Yeah, but coming back to Fidel Castro. So yeah, they tried to use exploding cigars. They sent him a woman supposed to like seduce him. Yeah, yeah, um, I heard of that one as well. Uh, a radio station rigged with gaseous LSD, a poison <laughs> syringe posing as a fountain pen. Man, who thinks of these? Yeah, who thinks of these? And fails. <laughs> 638 times. Yeah, I would just stop trying after like 20. Yeah, the CIA as well, man. The amount of times they've... And the amount of times they've actually overthrown like legitimately elected governments. Like democratic governments. Yeah, yeah. Like even with the Shah, when they... uh, Like when they put up the Shah as their puppet, like before the Shah, there was this actually proper properly democratic government in Iran but then they just yeah they just overthrew it for no reason yeah as as one does yeah I think the US is like for oil better. for oil yeah I mean, as they always do yeah I think the US was much better when they had a policy to not intervene in like foreign affairs yeah they had this whole thing called uh it was called manifest destiny I don't know exactly it was called but it was basically this thing that the Americans were like uh, the best race in the world. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like that meme, like Obama giving himself the medal. Like it, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Americans are the best race. And because I've they are the best race, they need before, to especially not civilize like, other people. I've, I've never heard that before. Like, especially since we've talked about Hitler today. I've never heard of that before. Heard of what? The fact that someone considers themselves a superior race. That is pretty ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so the US basically had this policy of isolationism, which was basically like they would avoid any political or economic entanglements with other countries. And that clearly worked. Yeah, I think the first time that they broke that was like World War One. Yeah. Yeah, they were much better before that. So in conclusion, revolutions aren't always violent upheavals. They can also be social, economic, and cultural. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week.